Today on Blue 58, the Packers are at home for the first time in 2023, welcoming the Saints to Lambeau Field for Week 3. How will Jordan Love and company handle their first home game? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode because we get to watch the Packers at Lambeau Field in just a couple of days. I've been interested in how this season has shaped up so far in that it's really been all about the Packers. I wrote about this in my picks column, which you can read at patreon.com slash the power sweep or via our Substack, thepowersweep.substack.com, or just the beginning portions of, um, of it at thepowersweep.com. But basically it's been interesting to me that the 2023 season so far has basically just been entirely about the Packers. In week one, the question was, how would they respond to the Bears, who apparently were much improved? How would Jordan Love start? And they answered all those questions in dramatic fashion. They destroyed the Bears. Uh, Jordan Love and the offense looked sharp. And they beat up on a bad team, which is what you're supposed to do if you are, if you consider yourself a good team. In week two, the Falcons were a much more difficult matchup for the Packers, but still, the game was in the Packers' control. And we don't come out of week two talking about how the Falcons were so great or the Falcons did all this to take advantage of the Packers' weaknesses. We talk about how the Packers' defense let them down. We talk about how complimentary football failed on basically all fronts there in week two. We talk about how Jordan Love and the offense didn't do anything really in the fourth quarter. And that's encouraging because it's still about what the Packers are doing more than what teams are doing to them. And I think we're in the same sort of position heading into week three, and that really affected how I, I prepped for this preview because I have a hard time sitting down and just wanting to talk about the Saints. Because I think looking at where the Packers are right now, it's still going to just be all about the Packers here in week three. You've got another, as it's going to be all season, another chance for a referendum on Jordan Love. You've got the offense potentially with Aaron Jones, but no Christian Watson. You've got the offensive line throwing up a whole bunch of questions again. You've got the question of whether the Packers can stop the run. You've got the question of whether or not the Packers can get after the passer because the Saints have a real hard time protecting Derek Carr. So let's talk through those things real quick before we even talk about the Saints at all. Jordan Love, heading into week three. Do we know a whole lot more about who he is as a player than we do than we did a couple of weeks ago? Some, but I'm not really sure how much. And we've been talking a little bit about this in the, the Power Sweeps Discord server, which you should join by becoming a supporter at Patreon or Substack if you haven't already. But we've talked about this idea that it feels like there's a chance that we could fall into a version of the the no true Scotsman fallacy with Jordan Love. If you're not familiar with that fallacy, Google it. It's pretty easy to understand. But basically, it comes down to the idea that if you're defining something, there are always going to be people that try to say, well, actually, that's not a true example of that phenomenon. What you're looking for is this. And then someone will come along and say to that person and say, well, that not is not even a, a true example of what you're looking for. The real example is this. And then and down and down and down it goes. I think there's a chance that we could fall into that with Jordan Love because of all the things that seem to be working against us getting a true picture of maybe who he is as a quarterback. Because in week one, you can say, well, yes, they didn't go deep with a whole lot of success, but there was no Christian Watson. 
In week two, you can say, yeah, they had a meltdown in the fourth quarter offensively, but there was no David Bakhtiari, no Elton Jenkins, no Aaron Jones and Christian Watson. And I think there's a, a, a real risk of us going through the 2023 season and always trying to make excuses for why we haven't gotten an absolutely perfect look at Jordan Love, which is interesting, I think, coming off a season with Aaron Rodgers, where we wanted to blame a lot of things on Aaron Rodgers, especially in the first half of the season. And a lot of the circumstances were essentially exactly the same. There was no David Bakhtiari, no Elton Jenkins. Christian Watson was in and out of the lineup. Romeo Dobbs was in and out of the lineup. Sammy Watkins was in and out of the lineup. And he had a broken thumb. Yet a lot of people wanted to pour things on Aaron Rodgers and say things are going really bad and it's Aaron Rodgers' fault, which was true in part. But also, there were all these other mitigating circumstances. Early in Jordan's love or Jordan Love's starting career, I think there's a danger of saying, well, we really haven't gotten a true look at Jordan Love because of all these circumstances, but eventually we're going to have to sit down and say, okay, what is this guy? What does he do? What does he do well, regardless of who's around them? Looking at Jordan Love, I think it's interesting that we're going to be going up against Derek Carr this year or this week because I think the odds looking at Love even now here in year four, looking at how his career is likely to proceed, there's a much better chance that he ends up as a Derek Carr-esque player than a top five NFL quarterback. Chances are, and this is not necessarily unique to love, but this I think is true for just about every quarterback coming out. Chances are your ceiling is more of that guy who's pretty good, but not really good. A top half NFL quarterback, but maybe not a guy who's necessarily going to get you over the hump. Derek Carr has been a pretty good NFL quarterback. He's a lot like Kirk Cousins in that he will do a lot of good things. Heck, he's been a four-time pro bowler. He's had some really good statistical seasons. And yet it always seems like first the Raiders and then now the Saints for the foreseeable future will always be on the verge of asking, can we do better than Derek Carr? That's a tough place to be in. And just the odds are... That's how most people peak. That's how most quarterbacks end up. Always asking yourself, can we do a little bit better? Look at where the, the New York Giants are here in, what is it, year four of Daniel Jones, year five. He just signed a big extension, and they're asking themselves already, did we did we screw that up real bad? Was that a bad idea? And it seems like that's been the question on Daniel Jones from the word go. And that, again, this is not specific to Jordan Love. That's just how things end up. But I do think it's interesting that we are going to be seeing a guy like that in Derek Carr here in week three. But again, that's all about the Packers. The offense as a whole, how do you end up structuring your offense to get down the field a little bit better than you have with essentially no deep threats? I'm assuming as I record this quarter after 11 Friday morning, that Christian Watson is probably not going to be in the lineup. It's not really been clear what the Packers are trying to do with him this week. Uh, the practice and then don't practice and then practice again strategy is a little bit odd. I'm just operating under the assumption that he's not going to be out there, in part because they've got another game coming up on Thursday right away. A divisional game seems a little bit more important than this week three game where you're not entirely sure where he's at. So maybe you just give him a couple more days of rest and he practices this week and maybe they can maybe he can go against the Lions and the Packers play the Lions on Thursday. But how do you continue to structure an offense with no real deep threats when you need to go deep sooner or later? 
The Packers have been trying. Jordan Love is top five in the league in average depth of throw at nine yards, just behind Derek Carr, who's going deep to Chris Olave on a week-in, week-out basis. But they're trying to go deep. It just hasn't been effective so far because I'm not sure they've got a guy who can get down the field consistently. And I'm not sure that we've seen consistent deep ball touch and accuracy from Jordan Love outside of a few things in training camp. The offensive line is going to remain a big question until they get healthy. And it's not clear at, at this point when that's going to be. But looking in into week three, it looks like they've got three real options for their offensive line. Matt LaFleur is always going to tell you he wants to have the best five on the field. The best five, in my estimation, are one of these three lineups. You go left to right, Rasheed Walker, Royce Newman, Josh Myers, John Runyon, or Zach Tom. I would guess that's how they go because that's how they finished the game last week. Other than when Rasheed Walker was bumping out and doing the the tight end thing, they would bring Yash Nyman in. Um, That seems to be what they wanted to go with last week. That seems the most likely. You could also put Zach Tom at left tackle, keep Royce Newman at left guard, go Myers and Runyon at center and right guard, and then have Yash Nyman at right tackle. It seems like a realistic possibility. Finally, the Packers may go with Rasheed Walker at left tackle and Zach Tom at left guard, then Myers and Runyon, and then Yash Nyman at right tackle. I think it comes down to two questions here. First, where do you want to hide someone? Do you want to try to hide your weak spot at tackle or at guard? I think it's easier to probably hide someone at tackle, which means that one of those, or at guard, excuse me, which means one of those first two options is probably the more likely one. You have Rasheed Walker at left tackle and Zach Tom at right tackle with Royce Newman at left guard, or Tom at left tackle and Nyman at right tackle with Newman at right guard. That seems to be one of the most stable left-to-right groups. I I would be concerned with the first group in that you have a a visibly weak left side and a much stronger right side. Tom Newman, Myers, Runyon, Nyman seems to be more even across the board. Second question is, do you like Royce Newman or do you like Yash Nyman? Two months ago, I said this is, would have said this is a no-brainer, that the Packers would easily prefer to have Yash Nyman on the field instead of Royce Newman. But we've seen a precipitous fall for Yash Nyman since then. We've seen Rasheed Walker clearly surpass him on the depth chart. We've seen Zach Tom own the job that Nyman was supposed to be competing for. There was never any real competition, it seemed, at right tackle. Uh, between Nyman and Tom. It was Nyman. Uh, it was the only question was whether maybe Zach Tom would play somewhere else at center or guard or who knows where. But settling in at right tackle, when when Tom was available to play right tackle, there was never any question whether it was going to be him or Yash Nyman. It was always it was always Tom. Do you prefer Royce Newman or Yash Nyman though? Maybe it's just reflex, but I still default to Nyman. Now, Newman looked okay against the Falcons. Not great, but, man, I it, I have a hard time trying to get Royce Newman on the field when I've got this guy that I, I tendered a, a, through a second-round restricted free agent tender on in, in Yash Nyman. And it seems like you can get stronger options on the field with some combination of uh, Zach Tom and Rasheed Walker along with Nyman by putting Tom at left guard instead of Royce Newman. You've got options, though, which is a good thing. I just think it's going to be one of those three things. 
On defense, the questions are, are big and obvious, and we'll talk a little bit more about both stopping the run and rushing the passer as we pivot toward talking about the Saints. But those are going to be questions about the Packers as long as this season goes on. Can they stop the run has been a big question mark since Joe Barry took over, even dating back to Mike Pettin. And part of that is a philosophical issue. You want teams trying to run the ball to a certain extent. Teams are going to do a lot more damage throwing the ball than they are going to running the ball. And if you can trick guys into trying to run the ball because they think they can do whatever running the ball, it is usually a net positive for you. And you say usually because the Packers are quite frequently the exception to that rule. They give up yards on the ground in quantities that make it clear that, shoot, it's still a pretty good bet to to run the ball against the Packers, even if you can't pass the ball consistently. And the Falcons are pretty good recent evidence of that. There are some questions about who's going to actually be running the ball for the Saints. We'll get to those in a second. Then rushing the passer, the Packers defense is built to rush the passer. Your top three or four edge rushers, well, outside of Preston Smith, are really primarily pass rushers. There really isn't a ton of, well, just looking into last week, when the Falcons needed a run, what did they do? They went after the Packers' best edge rusher in Rashawn Gary and said, we're going to try to isolate you on the edge, and it worked. That has been a winning strategy for a lot of teams. Lucas Van Ness is a pretty one-dimensional player at this point, but it's rushing the passer, which is nominally a good thing, but still something that you can take advantage of. J.J. Nigbari is hasn't been much of anything so far this year, and Justin Hollins is a little bit on the smaller side, so if you're going to run, like those are, are winning strategies. On the defensive line, you've got Kenny Clark and T.J. Slayton who can stop the run, at least in theory. But the but beyond that, you've got Devontae Wyatt, who is a pass rusher, not a run stopper. You've got Colby Wooden, who's 280 pounds on a good day. And you've got Carl Brooks, who's a rookie day three pick. He can rush the passer. Can he stop the run? That is a question about all rookie defensive linemen. And it's going to be a question about the Packers this week and every other week. The only question is, can they offset that problem of getting after the, the, or solve that problem of stopping the run by getting after the passer? Now, the Saints. Dovetailing with all of those questions, here come the New Orleans Saints, who are 2-0 and for two big reasons. First, the strength of their defense, and secondly, the weakness of the opposing quarterbacks they've played. They beat the Titans 16-15 to in Week 1, which had to be just one of the more thrilling opening week games that you could possibly have watched. And then they beat the Panthers 20-17 to in Week 2 on Monday Night Football. Those two wins means they have beaten, mean they have beaten Ryan Tannehill and Bryce Young. Not exactly a murderer's row of quarterbacks to this point. If you keep track of one-score games, and you should, it's something we mention every week in our previews here, the, the Saints are 2-0 and in one-score games so far. If you view one-score games as essentially a coin flip, the, the, the Saints are 1-1. One one. They're overachieving. Um, odds are they should be about 1-1, one one, but they're 2-0 and so far. Looking at the Saints' offense, Pete Carmichael is the offensive coordinator here. He's been in New Orleans in some capacity since 2006. He came over from San Diego when Drew Brees did. He had been their quarterback's coach or, or was a quarterback's coach with the, uh, with the Chargers. Then he took up that same role with the Saints and grew from there, was promoted to offensive coordinator, then kept that same job after Sean Payton retired. Generally, the Saints have been quite successful on offense in that stretch. It seems it's never really been the problem 
for the Saints throughout the, the balance of that now 17-year era. Quarterback for the Saints is Derek Carr. I wrote a piece about him recently for Acme Packing Company, kind of examining how he has changed his game a little bit, uh, understandably in a small sample size, but he is playing slightly differently with the Saints than he did with the Raiders. Mainly that comes down to going deep a little bit more often and throwing to the middle of the field considerably less. I think that basically comes down to personnel. With the Raiders, basically post Amari Cooper, he did not have a consistent deep threat, but at least his last year with the Raiders, he did have Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams, though he can go deep, Packers fans all know very well that where he really excels is in the short and intermediate areas of the field. Surprise, surprise, that's where Derek Carr was throwing last year. But with Chris Olave, with the Saints, who can go deep and likes to go deep, well, that's where you see Derek Carr going. Again, the question for me, looking at Derek Carr, is what if he's the ceiling for Jordan Love? I think that you can win with that, but it just gets a lot more complicated when you're trying to build your team because you need much more of a support system around him, which maybe that's how teams are built in 2023 and beyond, the real more cohesive systems than just trying to get this God-tier quarterback and hope for the best from there. But I think if the ceiling is Derek Carr, I wonder why trading up for a guy like that is a good idea in 2020 in the middle of a championship window. That's going to be a long-term question on Jordan Love, though, not something we have to unpack right now. The Saints offensive line overall has not been great through two weeks, particularly in pass blocking. Derek Carr has been sacked on 10% of his dropbacks so far in 2023, which is quite frankly an absurd number. Uh, Center Cesar Ruiz has been the weak link so far. He is the worst graded player on the Saints in both run and pass blocking. Trevor Penning isn't much better. He's allowed 10 pressures, including three sacks through two games. Not a great start. Uh, The passing game, like we've mentioned, built primarily around Chris Olave, Mr. Deep Ball for them, 14.1 yards per catch on 14 catches so far this year. But they do have an interesting compliment in Michael Thomas, who was an elite player a few years back, but he's essentially lost three years for the Saints. He played in 10 games, counting the two he's played so far this year, from 2020 through 2022. Well, played well two in addition to those 10 games, so 12 games since, since 2020. Not a whole lot, though. Averaging 9.7 yards per catch so far this season. Another big-bodied receiver, though. So if Jair Alexander wants to redeem himself for last week, there may be an opportunity here, though I suspect if they continue to have him shadow opposing receivers, it's going to be Olave. Now the run game. This is something we mentioned as a question mark, given the Packers, well, question marks at this in this area of their defense over the, well, over the first two weeks of the year. It's not clear what we're going to see from the Saints here. You've got Alvin Kamara, who's suspended. You've got Jamal Williams, who's hurt. And then beyond that, you've got running back Tony Jones, who through two games has a whopping 13 carries for 39 yards. Okay, not a big threat there. But beyond that, you've got Taysom Hill, and I don't even know what position to call him, tight end, quarterback, running back, whatever, 12 carries for 79 yards through two weeks. If I was Pete Carmichael and I was looking to manufacture some offense, when I've got question marks with pass blocking, question marks run blocking, I would look for Taysom Hill this week because he seems to be the guy other than Chris Olave who is moving the ball for me. Get him on the field somehow and see what you can do. Of note, Hill also has three catches for negative one yards on the year. Not a real big threat through the air so far this season. Also want to mention, Jimmy Graham is back with the Saints at age 56 approximately, 19 snaps through two games, zero targets. Uh, 
So if you're the Packers, how do you stop the Saints' offense? I think you pressure Derek Carr and figure out the rest from there. If they can't stop the ground game this week, the Packers are in real serious trouble. It's one thing to not slow down a good pass or a good run blocking offensive line, two good backs, and a coach who wants to run the ball to a fault in the Atlanta Falcons. But if you are having trouble against the Saints, who have a bad offensive line, who are without their top two running backs, and who really, really struggle to, bo- to move the ball through the air and probably will end up behind at some point as a result. If the Saints are still running the ball and running it effectively, we've got serious problems in Green Bay, and we may be there already. On defense, the guy you got to know about is Dennis Allen, who's got a very interesting coaching pedigree. Got his real start in the NFL at age 30 back in 2002 as a defensive quality control assistant with the Atlanta Falcons. He moved over to the uh, New Orleans Saints in 2006 as an assistant defensive line coach, then bumped back to the secondary in 2008. Got a job as the Denver Broncos defensive coordinator for the 2011 season, where he stayed for one year before getting the head coaching job with the Oakland Raiders, where he was for three unsuccessful seasons uh, between 2012 and 2014. Jumped over to the Saints in 2015, where he started as a defensive assistant, then got the interim defensive coordinator job, which he has never really given back since then. Was their defensive coordinator through 2021, then took over as their head coach when Sean Payton called it quits. Looking at his schematic roots, he got his start under Wade Phillips when Phillips was the D.C. in Atlanta. Then he worked under defensive coordinator Gary Gibbs in New Orleans during his first stint with the Saints, and Gibbs got his start under Mike Zimmer. So you can see the root of Dennis Allen's defense here, and I think in those two stops, uh, you see his 4-3 base uh, coming from the the Mike Zimmer tree. Aggression, uh, Mike Zimmer has always been a defensive coach who's pretty aggressive, and that has generally defined Allen. And then if you look at Wade Phillips, you'd look at some schematic malleability Phillips has always liked a 3-4 defense, but he's been pretty versatile everywhere he's gone in the NFL. And Allen, well, you don't survive as long as Allen has as a defensive coach in the NFL if you're not willing to change. I think we can see that a lot in his um, in his defenses. So far, just in terms of raw numbers, the Saints' pass defense is very good. Seventh in passing yards allowed, just one passing touchdown allowed through two games. They are missing Marcus May. Uh, who has been suspended for three games and has played every snap on defense so far at safety. Also in their secondary, they've got Tyron Matthew, who's played every snap for them for whatever that's worth in 2023. According to Pro Football Focus, he's grading out fairly well so far in his second year here with the Saints. Also want to mention uh, cornerback Paulson Adebo, six foot one, 192 pounds in his third year, a third-round pick out of Stanford in 2021. We were quite high on him coming out. Um, just another big defensive back, and uh, he's been a pretty solid addition to their secondary. The run defense has not been great, and I think you can kind of boil it down to one number. They are 28th in yards per attempt allowed. That should be concerning, I think, for Saints fans, particularly given the kind of games the Saints have played so far. If the Packers keep this one close, I don't think there's any reason, even with their offensive line issues, that they can't continue to run the ball well under, you know, against the Saints, just because the Saints have not been super great on the ground so far. I also want to mention linebacker Demario Davis. Across the board, probably their best defensive player, maybe Cam Jordan too, but Demario Davis uh, at linebacker, a really consistent player ever since he arrived in New Orleans. 
it's funny. We talk about players, not plays a lot of times. I think Demario Davis is a good case study for how things can go in the opposite direction because, and I know pro football focus grades aren't everything, but through his first five NFL seasons playing for both the New York Jets and Cleveland Browns, he was never better than a 61 overall grade, 61 and a half overall grade. His second stint with the Jets in 2017, he was much better, jumped up to a 73 overall grade. But then since he's been with the Saints, never worse than a 75 overall, has been 80 or above twice. He's now just just under 90 for the year for an overall defensive grade and was a, a 90 overall, 90.3 in fact, for, for 2019 as well. The plays do seem to matter for a guy like Demario Davis. He's gotten into a role where things seem to suit him quite well with the Saints, and Dennis Allen seems to know what he's doing with him. Players are going to matter more than plays as long as players keep making the plays, but the scheme does matter, and it seems to have mattered quite a bit for a guy like Demario Davis, probably extended his career by half a decade just playing with the Saints. Statistically, I would keep an eye on Carl Granderson and Cam Jordan up front, both of them posting very good pressure numbers so far this year. Granderson getting after the quarterback at an 18.3% raw pressure rate. Jordan is at 16.4%. With a suspect offensive line, those are two guys that are really going to be worth watching as the Packers work to protect Jordan Love. If you're attacking this defense, I would run first, and then pass second and build on what works from there. It's going to be very important that the Packers convert in the red zone this week. The Saints have been very good there so far this season, just allowing one touchdown, I think, on six red zone attempts by opposing uh, by opposing offenses. The Packers, meanwhile, the exact inverse, five touchdowns on six red zone attempts so far this year. Something's got to give. You would hope it gives in favor of the Packers. A quick look at special teams. Kicker Blake Group or Group A for the the Saints is 5 for 5 on the year so far, 1 for 1 beyond 50 yards. Just 5 feet 7 inches tall, though, so if you're scoring at home, the Packers win the very important kicker height battle there. Definitively, Anders Carlson, much taller than that. Punter Lou Headley averaging 45.1 yards per punt on 10 punts so far this year. Three landing inside the 20, just one touchback. Far from the most interesting thing about him. He is an Australian punter who left a construction job about five years ago to pursue American football. It's worked out pretty well for him so far. Did a year of community college, then punted for Miami for four years. Went undrafted this spring, but then won the Saints job. A 30-year-old rookie Australian punter is not something you see every day. Their kick and punt returner is Rashid Shahid, handles both duties for the Saints. He leads the league for whatever that's worth this season with the changes to the the kick return rules in both returns and return yards, averaging 22.4 yards per return. Three punt returns on the year for 22 yards was unremarkable in both duties last year. Now, usually I like to take a a second or two in these previews to just talk about the last time the Packers played their upcoming opponent. In this case, I think the less said about the last time the Packers played the Saints, the better, because the last time the Packers saw the Saints was in week one of the 2021 season. We had just had an offseason of drama relating to Aaron Rodgers and his ongoing beefs with Packers management, including a 20-something minute press conference in which he aired all of his grievances with the Packers front office. They let bygones be got bygones, got stuff worked out contract-wise uh, after the season, but that season started with a week one loss to the Saints 
in Jacksonville because the Saints couldn't play home games because of a hurricane, and then the hurricane just descended on the Packers and the Saints won 38-3. Just go look up the box score on Pro Football Reference if you would like to spend uh, a couple unpleasant minutes remembering, remembering that game. However, it is noteworthy because that is the first time we ever saw Jordan Love play meaningful snaps for the Packers. Got a few snaps in garbage time in that game, so there you go. The circle is now complete. How do the Packers win this one? Hopefully it's not a 38-3 loss. At least we know it's not going to be in Jacksonville. We know where the game's going to be. It's going to be in Green Bay. It's basically the same as it's been through two weeks so far. Protect Jordan Love, physically and in the game plan. Duh, obvious, but also it's a thing you're going to have to do. You're missing two of your starting linemen up front, probably. And so you're going to have to protect Jordan Love against a pass rush that occasionally can be somewhat sprightly for the Saints. You're also going to have to run the ball. Figure out a way to do it effectively, whether you've got Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon or Emmanuel Wilson or Patrick Taylor back there. The Packers just have to continue to run the ball effectively, particularly in high-leverage short yardage situations, which is where they really struggled, I think, in Week 2. Then I think it's going to come down to pressuring Derek Carr when the Saints have the ball. Everybody's been able to do it so far, and if the Packers can do it in similar ways to what we've seen on the high end of what they're capable of so far this season, I think it's really going to cause some problems for the Saints offense, given the question marks they have everywhere else. If nothing else, you know, whatever limitations he has as a quarterback aside, Derek Carr should be a stabilizing presence for the Saints at his best. If the Packers can interrupt that, then I think you're in really good shape. I think the encouraging thing here is looking at all those things the Packers have to do, much like the theme that we've talked about in this podcast, everything the Packers need to do is proactive. It's not reactive. It's about the Packers. It's about what they do well and what they need to do well. You can protect Jordan Love with blocking and with game plan, and that's something that you can control. You can run the ball on the Saints. It's just a commitment issue, which is something the Packers have struggled with through two weeks, but that is that is something that is within your ability to control, especially if the Packers have Aaron Jones. You can also pressure the Saints pretty much at will, At it seems, and the Packers, you know, for Joe Barry's foibles so far this season, have been able to generate pressure in different ways than we've seen in the past, both both with the personnel that they have, getting Kenny Clark into advantageous matchups, Rashawn Gary coming along slowly, and with Scheme just doing a little bit more stunting up front, moving guys around. That's been, I think, a feather in Joe Barry's cap so far, and if they can continue that this week, it only bodes well for the Packers. So are the Packers going to win, or are they going to lose? A big problem with how I do previews, and how everybody has to do previews, is you have to do most of your research and prep work well in advance of the game. And unfortunately, how the Packers have kind of shaped up this year, that leaves us with a lot of question marks between when we prep and record and do all those things and when the game actually takes place. Last week, on Thursday when I recorded, the assumption was that even if he hadn't been practicing, David Bakhtiari was probably going to be good to go for the Packers game on Sunday. I mean, all previous evidence had suggested that even if he doesn't practice, he's going to be able to play. But then he didn't. And then Elton Jenkins went down and so many other things happened and the Packers kind of fell apart. It's hard to think that if the loss is only down to just David Bakhtiari or just Elton Jenkins last week, the Packers have a much better chance of winning, especially as they try to run down the stretch. So we're kind of in a similar situation this week. As of today, I kind of think it's it's going to be a, a loss for the Packers. They are presently without 
three or maybe four important players on offense. Aaron Jones, Christian Watson, David Bakhtiari, and Elton Jenkins. We know it's not going to go lower than two, but on Sunday, you know, 48 hours from now, it could be down to two. Jones and Watson may yet go. It's looking pretty good for Jones. It's uncertain for Watson. We don't know for sure as of this recording if he's going to go or not. So it's kind of up in the air. That's a pretty huge swing. So I think you've got a few different scenarios there. If the Packers end up without Jones and Watson, for sure, I think they lose. If they end up just without Aaron Jones, or just without Christian Watson, excuse me, I think it's it's a toss-up, but I think he can provide quite a bit of juice to that offense just on his own. And he has shown more than A.J. Dillon that he can create and produce for the Packers offense, even without optimal offensive line support. He can do a lot more in the passing game than A.J. Dillon can. If they've got both Jones and Watson, I think the Packers win. Overall, though, I think this is going to be a tough one for the offense regardless. This, I think, is in the defense's hands to support the offense enough that the Packers can get to 20 to 23 points. And if they get to that point, then I think they can win. If the Packers can pressure Derek Carr consistently, I think the Packers will win. As of right now, and actually as of when I had to submit my picks yesterday ahead of Thursday Thursday Night Football, I have the, the Packers losing this one. But that's mainly a function of just not knowing where the Packers are. It's a bummer, but that's where we're at with the Packers so far this season. And again, to bring it all the way back to where we started, that is kind of a good thing. Because it's about the Packers more than it is about their opponents. We're not worried. We haven't been worried really about what the opponents are going to do to the Packers so far this season. It's just about whether the Packers can be the team that we think that they can be. And kind of pulling on that thread a little bit more, I find myself feeling better and better about the Packers the more that you think about how these games come down to what the Packers can do as opposed to what other teams are going to do to them. Because I think if we're just worried about the Packers, That shows that the Packers are in a pretty good spot. As a closing thought, I want to talk to a few people out there who I know are heading to Lambeau Field for the first time this year. We've gotten a couple messages from people this offseason and into the season about what we should do if we're heading to Lambeau Field for the first time and we've got a chance to go to a game for the first time. I tried to put together something a little bit more long form about this, uh, get some input from other people, whatever takes you have, this, that, and the other thing about that. Unfortunately, the month of September has been a kind of a big bummer health-wise for our family. Everybody in our family group, both my kids, my wife, myself, and my wife's parents who live next to us, we all got COVID at the same time, and we were all sick for a while, which has derailed a lot of what I plan to do to open the Packers season in September. There were two or three interview podcasts that were supposed to happen that have not and there was, I was supposed to do a more updated feature about how, how you should, you know, what you should do if you're going to Lambeau Field for the first time. So it's a bummer that we haven't got to do that, but I did, still wanted to talk about it a little bit. First and foremost, anybody going to Lambeau Field this weekend, update your Packers app. The Packers themselves put this, put out a release about this earlier this week. They don't do paper tickets anymore. So if you want to get into the game, you're doing your tickets digitally. A lot of that happens through the Packers app, and they want to make sure you have your app up to date before you go to Lambeau Field. So if you haven't heard it anywhere else, listen to me now. Go update your Packers app to make sure you can handle your tickets for Sunday 
The future is not that great in a lot of ways. You know what you didn't ever have to update is paper tickets. If you had them, you had them. Why, why is that? Why does it need to be more complicated than that? I don't know. There are some benefits, sure, but the paper tickets, you either bring them to the stadium or you don't. That's all there is. You don't have to update them. Anyway, make sure that's updated. But if you're going to Green Bay for the first time, if you're going to Lambeau Field for the first time, two big tips. The first thing would be to really just make it an experience however you can. Get there early. Find some time to just soak in the atmosphere in the neighborhood around Lambeau Field, in the Lambeau Field parking lot. Just give yourself a chance to experience what it's about to be there on game day. Just take your time. It's going to be a slow process anyway, so get there plenty early. Park your car or shuttle to the stadium, whatever. But just get there early and just be there. Check out the pro shop. If you're feeling ambitious, check out the Hall of Fame. I don't know if I'd recommend that on a game day. It would not work for me because I would want to spend more time there. But if that appeals to you as far as soaking in the atmosphere, go ahead and do that. Just give yourself some time to feel out the ambience of the stadium, the inside, the outside. Check out everything. See as much as you can. The other big thing that I would do is just go ahead and buy some food that you wouldn't normally. Lambeau Field is good food. It is weird food, but there's there's plenty of it available. And if you're willing to rub elbows with people out in the in the parking lot a lot, just to see what people are doing and, and cooking up out there, I would just about guarantee that someone is going to offer you a brat or a beer or both. And you know what? You're going to do pretty well for yourself if you find yourself in that situation too. So get there early, soak in the atmosphere, get some food that you wouldn't normally Just embrace the experience as much as the game. The game is going to feel different if you haven't been to a Packers game in person than watching it on TV. You're not going to get quite the same number of details. Well, you're going to get different details watching in person than you do watching on TV. The feel of the game, I think, think is a lot more intimate at the game. You get a feel for what's going on and what's working and what's not in person, in ways that you don't, I think, watching on TV. But the game is a lot, I don't want to say secondary, it's a lot more of an accompanying factor when you're there in person than just the overall atmosphere itself. So do what you can to soak in the atmosphere and then just have fun with it. Remember, win or lose, or tie, I suppose, you're at Lambeau Field. You're with 80,000 of your closest friends, and they are going to feel like your friends on game day, and make some friends. Chat with the people next to you. Have a good time. Just enjoy the experience however you can. Think of it more as the experience than just watching the game itself. That's the best tip that I can give you for enjoying a Packers game in person. And I hope it works for those of us, those of you out there who I know are going to see the Packers for the first time this week. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show. In fact, it's the number one way that we grow through your word of mouth. So appreciate all the work that you've done on our behalf over the years doing that. And of course, it's going to get more people invested and involved in this conversation we are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.